Oscar, Pautl Oscar, aka Paul Oscar, my guest on this edition of the Music Meets podcast with me, Magica. Pautl Oscar, Icelandic pop idol, radio and TV personality, DJ, social activist, and all round cultural icon. His first album, Stuth, was released in 1993, and its follow up, Pali, was the best selling Icelandic album of 1995. He went on to work with easy listening group Casino and released the album Deep Inside, as well as two acoustic albums with harpist Monica Abendroth. Good pronunciation? Abendroth. <laughs> Abendroth. <laughs> Featuring a duo with much-loved classical singer Didou, who also happens to be his sister. He's since released a Greatest Hits compilation, as well as an album performed with a live symphony orchestra. Pautl regularly DJs and performs live in clubs and appears on radio and TV, including a role as judge on Icelandic Idol and The X Factor. He came to international attention in 1997 performing Min Hinsti Dance, Iceland's entry in the Eurovision Song Contest. The controversial performance featured four dominatrixes wearing fishnet stockings and leather boots. BBC commentator Terry Wogan declared that the performance was a breakthrough and that it broke the mould for how Eurovision songs are staged, and he was right. Pautl is a committed social activist, campaigning tirelessly for tolerance and acceptance, and is an organiser of the phenomenally successful Reykjavik Pride, the pièce de résistance each year being his own float, this year featuring an enormous sparkly pink dragon. Now, that wasn't a dream, it really did happen, as did the time when he appeared on Cult Channel 4 show Eurotrash, feeding five Spice Girls impersonators goat's testicles. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best intro I've had in my life. Thank you so much. I'm honoured. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So am I. And I'm very curious to hear what's going to happen. Let's I... get stuck straight in. So what is your first choice? Well, one of my biggest inspirations in electro music is a fellow of mine called Patrick Coley. For those of you who don't know him, you probably might know the hits that he produced for the drag queen performer Sylvester. You made me feel mighty real. This is him. Now, Patrick was a pioneer when it came to electro music and on the side, while working on dance tracks for the gay scene in America, you know, on the side, you know, to make a little money, he recorded some instrumental tracks on his own. And it looks like these tapes were made as instrumental music for gay porn films. And here's a track that he called Mockingbird Dream. It sounds incredibly beautiful and very erotic, really, really sensual. The production value of it is way ahead of its time. This is probably 1978. Wow. And uh, it sounds and feels like it was recorded yesterday by some hipster. Yeah. <laughs> Great, let's have a listen to the track. We'll chat a bit more afterwards. So that was Patrick Cowley with Mockingbird Dream. 
It's interesting after you framed it in that way because it is very sensual, I think. It's also quite dark. It reminds me a little bit of uh, John Carpenter, you know, who did those mm -hmm. films Halloween, yep. Attack on Precinct 13, and he did his own music in those films. Mm -hmm. It sounds not dissimilar, actually. Something... Yeah, they were probably using the same instruments. Yeah, and I think it's something aesthetically as well. It, it's almost kind of the fear of the machine as well, you know, with Kraftwerk. You had this synths coming in, and I think they were seen as this strange presence creeping in. Mm -hmm. But what I think Patrick has managed to do is make it feel that whilst you have this kind of slightly menacing undertone, mm -hmm. it's also incredibly sensual. Well, uh, I know for a fact that Patrick himself, he was a very sexual being and a very experimental when it came to sex. And he took that with him into the studio. So you can hear that he's choosing his sounds very carefully. Mm. You know, uh, you can almost see the neon lights. You can almost see the back door. You can almost see the dark room. Yeah. You know, where homosexuals used to look for shelter, really. And this is the situation that Patrick comes out of. He is clearly using his music as a weapon for self-recognition. In my opinion, music not only speaks to you, but it reveals you. Music is the universal language. I know a person when I ask the person, what kind of music do you listen to? And if that person happens to like that certain Kylie Minogue track, <gasps> then I'm talking to myself, you know, I make a connection. And I'm, I'm whizzing through the whole Kylie back catalogue now, trying to yeah. make sure I don't mention one track in particular. Yeah. I, I have a feeling we'd probably end up on the same ones anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the deep cuts. Yeah. And um, sadly, Patrick uh, was one of those who was taken away from us way too early. He died from AIDS in 1982. This was almost way before anyone knew what this disease was. In the early days, they called it gay cancer or the gay plague. But Patrick and Sylvester, who both had the virus, they were really open about it as well. Mm. And they even marched in gay pride parades, even wheelchair bound. You know, they were there. Uh, and Patrick was working in the studio till the day he died. Mm. He was a talent that was taken away from us way too early. And mm. I believe that... If he would have lived, America would have had, you know, their own Giorgio Moroder or even Kraftwerk. Yeah, it's and funny listening to that. Now we know his story. I think it makes it so much more poignant, this music, that kind of sensuality, but also the kind of dark element creeping under this undercurrent. Mm -hmm. I think we feel that in his music as well. True. This is the soundtrack of someone's life who uh, whose sex life is bound in a dark room. Yeah. Well, I mean, picking up on that theme, I think it gives my first choice a whole different kind of... Uh, it sheds a different light on my first choice, mainly just because of the title of the song. Mm -hmm. um, this is a song that I'm sure you will have heard at least once in your life before. I'm not going to tell our dear listeners why I've chosen it until after we've listened to it. This is Margaret Berger with I Feed You My Love. A cocoon in a silent tree Through the dark night You listen to me when I whisper Broken words in your ear And you push You push me hard to the surface I'm blinding hard but you wake me 
So I think that song has always been fairly sexual, but after the conversation we just had, I'm much more drawn to all of this imagery about I have the future on my tongue. Mm-hmm. Do you, Margaret? I, I see. Um, I have chosen this track, dear listener, because it was the Norwegian entry in the Eurovision Song Contest 2013. Mm-hmm. What I love about this track is that it is so distorted. The synth start, and I mean, they've cranked that distortion up about as far as it can go. And I think it's a really smart choice for her. It's this very dark electro stuff and it really suits her. She's tall, blonde, very beautiful. So the contrast between this darkness in the beats and the kind of cheeky innocence of of her and then the lyrics that she's singing, I think that works really well. Um, What do you make of the track? Well, when I heard it back in 2013, you know, it felt like a relief in the contest and I felt like it, it was having a conversation with the Lady Gaga sound. The Lady Gaga sound was really necessary for all of us when, when she burst out with Just Dance. Finally, we had some dark pop <laughs> and we needed that mm. at the time. And, you know, not many have dared to enter that path, mm. you know, especially not in Eurovision. So it was a relief, a sigh of relief yeah. from me when I heard this track it's, first. It certainly was at my Eurovision party. When this came on, it was like, whoa, yeah. she came forth, you know, so it was a good result for Norway. And did you know that this song became a huge hit in Iceland? Doesn't afterwards? surprise me, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Um I wanted to speak to you a little bit about how it felt to take a song that was very unexpected and quite pioneering to Eurovision. Mm. And yeah, your your whole feeling about about that experience, but about also where we're at now with Eurovision. Mm -hmm. Well, did you know that back in 1997, we had no pre-selection because there was no budget for it (laughs) at the Icelandic TV station Ruv. They simply gave me a call and asked me to do it. Uh, Luckily, I had a song which I liked a lot. I knew for a fact that this was not a winning song. This is not, it's way too melancholy and way too almost hymn-like. Yeah. Almost sinister-like. Well, it Uh, doesn't have like a kind of... um, Exactly. It's just the chorus flows on from the verse. And I like it a lot. I even like it to this day. But this is a song that, you know, instead of slapping you in the face, it sneaks in through the back door. Mm. And the funny thing is, back in 2010, I was asked to do this show of my songs with the Icelandic Symphony Orchestra. There, we rearranged the whole song from scratch. And that arrangement is, in my opinion, the arrangement for the song. It turned out that it's a really clever, beautiful James Bond theme. (laughs) (laughs) If I would enter Eurovision again, I would not enter with a song that sneaks through the back door. Mm. I I would need to uh, go out there with a winner, not a filler. Mm. And I would need to go out with something that knocks you dead in three minutes. Well, it's interesting you say that, because until recently I would probably agree. The only thing is I've noticed that some, I wouldn't say similar songs, but this, you know, sneaking in through the back door kind of song Mm. has been doing quite well, not winning, but doing quite well. So this year we had uh, Belgium with the Rhythm Inside song. It sounded a bit like Lord, quite bare production. Mm. He came fourth. Uh, Sixth, we had Latvia with Love Injected, which was this kind of FKA twigs, very experimental again for Eurovision. And she came sixth, which is Latvia's best result in a long time. Mm. So 
I agree to win. I don't think a song like that could win. But if you want a good, solid top 10 result, it seems that there is a place for that. Yeah. It seems to be. And I hope I paved the way for the experimental songs. Well, that's why I chose this one. It was a kind of homage to that track because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think we would be having Margaret Berger feeding you her love in 2013 if we didn't have you doing your song in 97. Mm. Or Diana International winning in 1998. True. Uh, did you know that one of the main reasons why I said yes in 97 is because I knew their intention was to uh, do an experiment with televoting. Six countries would vote via phone, but the rest of them were going to use the good old invisible juries. <laughs> the ju- Un- unaccountable juries. Yeah, the judges that no one saw. And I was kind of intrigued by that. And this is what happened. The invisible judges almost ignored me while the televoting came out quite good. Yeah. The European Broadcast Union, uh, they told me afterwards that they, they had a meeting where they calculated the points. And they told me, well, if we would only have counted the televoting points, you would have ended up sixth, you know, like all the experimental yeah, songs. Interesting. Do, all the experimental yeah. songs do today. That's very interesting. Let's go to your second choice by Donna Summer. And it's a deep cut. I didn't know this track so i'm really pleased you, you didn't i didn't i'm i'm afraid to say oh. but i'm absolutely thrilled that you've chosen it because now i get to discover it mm-hmm. and this is now i need you right yep So that was Donna Summer with Giorgio Moroder and Now I Need You. Huntingly beautiful. It's stunning. The first thing that came to mind when I heard it was actually Abba's Lay All Your Love on Me. Mm -hmm. But that came later. Much later. You've got these choral voices going very high and coming back down again. It sounds almost kind of religious. You've got Giorgio Moroder's synths bubbling away. It's very ambitious, very original. And what I love is when a producer and an artist get this complicity in the studio Mm. and they can go far and you can tell that Giorgio and Donna were having a blast oh yeah being super creative Mm -hmm. breaking all the rules um I love this idea of concept albums as well Mm. I'm a big fan of them myself you probably know this story but I feel love sounded very futuristic because it was on an album called I Remember Yesterday Mm -hmm. where each of the songs was meant to represent a decade. Mm -hmm. So she had one that was kind of like a Charleston, so that was like the 30s, 20s or 30s. You had Love's Unkind, which sounded like the 50s. Um, And I Feel Love was meant to represent the future. future. So (laughs) what is amazing is that they so succeeded with their concept that they actually made a piece that in the late 70s did sound like the future and still sounds like the future. Mm -hmm. It's it's mind-blowing. Exactly. And did you know that Donna was either the lyric writer or writing the melodies on almost all these songs, Mm -hmm. all these tracks? Well, you see... What's a shame there is that we don't know that and that's not celebrated. And this is a conversation I've had with someone previously on a podcast who founded the Feminist Times. And we spoke about how in the history of 
rock and pop. The contributions that women have made are very often overlooked. I thought that Donna Summer was singing Georgia Moroder's songs. I, I wasn't aware that she was writing them as well. Well, the, the two of them had a blast in the studio, like you said. And I can confess to you that this was my aim in life. This was my goal. I just wanted to be Donna Summer. Now, Donna being a black woman born in Houston, and I'm a white gay male born in West End of Reykjavik. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much I have in common with her, but I know that this intensity in the music and the connection that you can make with other people through music, that's what I wanted to gain. Giorgio Moroder was always experimenting with synthesizers like Patrick Coley, and Giorgio single-handedly created this sound space that most of the dance music we hear today is based on. And they, uh, they took it a step further uh, on the Once Upon a Time album. That whole concept album is it's almost like a musical. It tells the story of uh, a young girl trying to make a living in a big city and she almost has a nervous breakdown. It's like this big city is eating her up. Uh, Donna and Giorgio, you know, decided to create a whole side, a vinyl side, dedicated to the sound, and it has three songs on it. And the first song on that side, B, is the is the track that I chose. And I believe this is probably it ranks among their best work. It's experimental, sneaks through the back door obscure it is so obscure that you you don't even know if you should dance to it or meditate to it or just sink into it you mm. know but the atmosphere and the feel of it makes it one of my favorite tracks with that disco diva donna summer that brings us quite nicely onto my second choice okay I heard something in the Donna Summer track. She's multi-tracked her own voice, mm -hmm. uh, which is quite classical sounding, but there's a kind of harshness because it's quite high and quite piercing. Mm -hmm. So I've simply picked up on that, the idea of women singing together. Mm -hmm. This is something totally different. Mm -hmm. It is a collection of Bulgarian singers. Oh. They go by the name of Le Mystère des Voix Bulgares. They have a French name. I'll explain why in a minute. And the piece is called Erghen Diado, Bachelor Grandpa Song of Skopso. Uh-huh. Oh, 
Okay, so that was Le Mystère des Voix Bulgares. The reason they have a name in French is that they were discovered by a Swiss guy, a kind of ethnomusicologist. I have a feeling you had quite a reaction to that, so I'd love to know what you made of it. Mm -hmm. First thing that came to my mind is how incredibly sharp and how right on they are when it comes to pitch. Now, this takes years to master. And I remember that Kate Bush used exactly this same sound to a great effect on her album, The Sensual World. Well, this is the second time I've played a piece of Eastern European vocal music to someone on my podcast, and they've immediately said, didn't Kate Bush use that? And both yeah. times you've been absolutely right. Yeah. Kate Bush worked with a trio called Trio... Mm. Trio, Bul trio Bulgarka. Bulgarka, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's this kind of texture. There's a wonderful video online of her singing with them. Uh -huh. And she's having so much joy mm -hmm. just to be singing with them in this technique. It is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's the first thing that came to mind. But I also realized, hmm, why you picked this right after the Donna Summer <laughs> operatic vocal delivery. Donna was quite capable of doing that. Yes, you know? that's what I want to go back to Donna for a second. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was listening. She really was virtually a classical singer on a lot of her stuff. She had this beautifully developed head voice that mm -hmm. she would sing in, which is quite unusual for a kind of... You know, someone who came from that background, I think. It is. And the amazing thing about Donna's voice is that it doesn't matter how much action is going on around her. She always cuts through. Mm. It's amazing. She is a storyteller, mm. an actress, if you like. Yeah. There is always some intensity, mm. something exciting going on. Yeah. When I listen to Bulgarian vocal music, like this female vocal music, like you say, it's incredibly sharp, the texture. Mm -hmm. Almost unpleasant. Cut, cutting glass yeah. sharp. It's almost too much to listen to, but because it's so loud and so strong and so powerful, I find it incredibly beautiful mm -hmm. and very haunting. Yeah. Um, Werner Herzog, the um, film director, used Le Mystère des Voix Bulgares in a documentary he did about the North Pole. Mm -hmm. And they're swimming, cutting through the ice, and there are cameras going through these frozen waters, mm -hmm. and it's... Wow. It's absolutely beautiful wow but you know where i heard this vocal delivery first i was actually a, a member of uh, a choir in my college and the first trip i took with a choir was in 1988 and we went to hungary a small village called page and it was a choir convention really this is the place where i was able to listen to eastern european vocal delivery for the first time one Russian choir actually managed to uh, imitate machines. And they were beatboxing and, you know... That sounds uh, like my kind of piece. Yeah, beatboxing and, wh and whistling. And it was mm. like a factory, yeah. you know, made out of human voices. That's amazing. It was beautiful. And it was a great trip. And we actually, we hit it big, you know. They loved the Icelandic folk songs. Yeah. Well, more of that perhaps in a moment. I'm going to teasing you. Uh -huh. With the internet, I think mankind has never ever listened so much yeah. to music in history yeah. 
and not just popular music mm. it's all kinds of music you know that you can everything you can sink your teeth into yeah. and and even though the myth about the big bad record company trying to control everything and even misuse or abuse the artists you know the myth is strong i, I think if you're a music lover i think the internet is more of a blessing than a curse I, i agree and it's too easy to be negative and to say well we don't sell anything anymore and we, we can't make our living from from selling mp3s well there are other ways of doing it yeah and i think you know how it's been here in iceland the whole time there's been no market really it's a it's a nation of 300,000 people for god's sakes and the record buying public has always been so small and records have only been sold during christmas time really the, the icelandic reality is now hitting the rest of the world absolutely i mean really i hard. i make money from touring no oh. i tour and i know that when i've done a gig i'll get paid well i've released all my albums myself since 1995 it's a nice feeling and they're not going anywhere most of them are in icelandic anyway so i'm not actually in it to export them I'm very fortunate to be working in music for how long now? 25 years? I haven't worked a day job hmm. since 1991. And uh, and I probably will continue doing that, hmm. probably for the rest of my life. Well, that brings us very nicely onto your new track, which we're going to listen to right now. What's it? Yep. What's it called? This is my latest single. In Icelandic, it's called Lítu Upp which is a very nice way to say, look into the light, look on the bright sides. The the chorus goes, when you look into the light, you can be sure that you have the shadows in your back. Nice. Yeah. I like that. And I recommend that you look into the light, but you have the choice. The choice is yours. Okay, great. Let's have a listen. Komin út úr mesta myrkrinu Vann mig út úr eigin sjálf En ef að út af ber Og ef ég byrja barma mér Þá minni ég mig á það Sem hún mamma sagði mér Líttu upp í ljós Þá stendur þú með skuggan í baki Líttu upp í ljós Sem tekur burtu byrkrið og hatri Líttu upp í ljós Jafnilinn í gráski er sólskinnið falið Líttu upp í ljós Ég mæli með því að þú hefur vann Ljós, 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 ljós
stendur þú með skuggan í baki so we've just found out that Pautl is number one for the second week. Mm-hmm. In Iceland. Haha. <laughs> well, it's still a first on the podcast. I've had all kinds of people on, but I haven't had someone whose single was number one the very moment we were recording the podcast in said country. Okay. So. Oh, how nice. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for for the way that the Icelandic public has really received my music the whole time. You're really loved here. I think it's maybe difficult for people to understand if they've never been to Iceland, they don't know what this country is about. But people really love you. Mm-hmm. I'm a local hero here, and I'm a gay icon, if I can call myself that. And I came out when I was 17, and I decided to be out and stay out the whole time. Um, I didn't want to take the chance of coming out afterwards, mm. sort of stabbing my fans in the back, yeah. like I felt myself towards George Michael and Elton John and Freddie Mercury and Boy George and the Patcher Boys and Dusty Springfield and all these uh, all these people that I loved when I was a teenager mm. and when I was a troubled teenager and I didn't feel that good about myself. Mm. Now, where were you guys when I needed you? When I was listening to you on my cassette player? Because pop music is, you know, a lifesaver for so many kids mm. I and think, teenagers. Yeah, and, and I think we forget, actually, how quickly things are changing, which is great. Uh, there's still work to do, for sure. There was a guy who won Pop Idol, the first series of Pop Idol, mm-hmm. and he didn't come out. Mm-hmm. And all the way through the process, he was talking about his partners, and he was, and he just never said it, and they never asked him. Mm-hmm. This was two thousand and one. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And then he won, and he came out, and and he's people love him. People love Will Young. He's he's really gone to people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but things have changed quite fast. I think. Yeah, I hope so. Well. Come to think of it, when I came out in 87, my father was not so much worried about me. His questions were, are you going to get a a job? How are you going to be able to live? But I mean, how prejudiced was Iceland at at that time? Quite. You know, at the time, it was quite heavy. (laughs) And, And also he was worried that that my landlord would kick me out of my apartment. He was worried people would call me names on the streets uh, or even attack me. He was scared to death that I would die of AIDS and all these things that I had to prove him wrong. I've had a big, long, glamorous career as a pop star in Iceland and it is important to me that and I, and I know for a fact that some of the kids who really looked up to me uh, when I was starting off, they actually saw me on TV. I was so happy to be there. And there they were. Oh, there he is. He's out of the closet and he's actually having a great time, mm. you know. But do you think of that when you're writing? I'm interested also in the creative process because your lyrics, there's something very life-affirming, obviously, about them. And I guess they become the kind of anthem of that year's Pride. Obviously, you perform it when you perform at Reykjavik Pride. Mm. So you must be thinking, what do I want to sing to this crowd as well when you're actually creating? It's funny. I hardly ever do. I'm usually writing those lyrics to save my own ass. (laughs) 
my lyrics are very, very egocentric. I'm usually writing for myself, about myself, meditating with myself. Mm. And then, well, having said that, if there's anyone out there who connects with me, mm. then it's a given bonus. It's it's an add-on. Yeah. Really. The lyric has to serve the song. Yeah. Well, that's another question I wanted to ask you, because Icelandic is a very interesting language. I feel it's a very ancient language. And I don't know, sometimes it doesn't sound that easy to sing in. Quite percussive, I think. Mm-hmm. How does that affect your writing process? Mm, the Icelandic language is so rich. I can have a lot of fun with playing with words. I hear that, actually. Yeah. yeah. If I run into trouble, I just use slang or I make up something. Mm. The best piece of advice that I can give you if you're actually writing a pop song, I suggest that you come up with the title of the song first. Mm. And then please write the lyrics to the chorus first. Mm. The chorus can be a statement or a punchline or a metaphor. It has to paint a picture of something that you need to get out of your system. Now, the verses, you probably notice that if you start writing a verse first and you're finished with a beautiful verse... You might run into trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Writing the chorus. I mean, I, I'm a producer. The amount of times I have a songwriter who says, "Yeah, I've got a great song. I just haven't got a chorus." I think, well, that's not really a great song. Then that's yeah. that's that's a nice idea. I, I would put that to one side, and then when you've got a great chorus, then maybe you can wheel out your verse mm -hmm. and attach it to your great chorus. It's like saying, "Oh, I've got some great Christmas lights. I just need the Christmas tree." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> Well, from talking about pop music with Icelandic lyrics, we're going to move on to my final choice, which is an Icelandic traditional melody, mm -hmm. a lullaby, which you will surely know, Softhu Unge Austimin, with my lyrics, new lyrics that I've written in English. You're so I'm not kidding. Oh. Let's check it out. <laughs> Soft and hungry outside in Waiting rain inside her Murmuring ground once cold and thin Golden light unveils her skin Crystal and empty watch the storm ignite
So that was my version of Sortu Unger Austimin. It's called Geezer. It's about a geezer circling around, bubbling away, ready to explode at any moment. It was for my project, The North Project, and the album was called North. And this track features Une Andrea, which I've just found out Paul actually knows. I mean, Iceland is quite small, so people tend to know each other quite a lot, but you actually know Une. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she sings this so beautifully. I was really pleased to work with her. What mm-hmm. do you make of the track? I've got a few stories to tell you. There is a recording with me, age two. No way. Singing Sovdungostimin. One of the first recordings ever. There was a fourth, no, two track recorder at home. And here I am singing Sovdungostimin at the age of two. And mum actually used this song, uh, you know, as a lullaby, really. She sang it to us. So what do you feel? I mean, I've played quite a few tracks on this album on recent podcasts. One of the reasons is that I've had a couple of Icelanders on the podcast. So I thought it would be interesting to get your reaction. What do you feel hearing it in English? (laughs) I feel funny. I feel like my father just started speaking Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) I feel just as funny as hearing the Spanish versions of the Apa songs. You know, it's just, huh? It's just funny. (laughs) I'm really glad you said that. Most people say, oh no, it's wonderful that you're doing these new versions and that the melodies are staying alive and all of that. I'd like to think, you know, Mm. My contribution is appreciated, (laughs) but I was also prepared for the fact that if you know and love this melody in its original language, it might be a little bit freaky to hear it sung in English. Well, and I also know the backstory of the original lyrics. It was used in a play in the theatre called The Outlaw, Utlain. It tells the story of Hatland Eivindur, who were outlaws in the settlement era. If you actually uh, stole or killed someone or did something really horrible, then you became an outlaw. You were punished by being banned out of society. So you just had to live on a rock or in a cave and steal your food. At this time in the play, the wife of one of the outlaws, she decides to go with them and they have a baby and the wife has to come to terms with it. There is no future for this baby, really. So she is actually singing that lullaby to the baby before she throws it off a rock and into a waterfall. Yeah, Icelandic folk tunes are pretty dark very often. It's not the only one I know about uh, kind of dead children, basically. Mm -hmm. It's the darkest lullaby you can imagine. Yeah. So it's true that when I wrote my lyrics in English, I was not thinking of that. I was trying not to get distracted by the meaning, actually, because the challenge in this project was to copy the sound of the words. So we have soft and hungry outside in. So that's why it was very challenging because I wanted it to also to tell a different story. This story is about a geezer that's bubbling up. And, you know, the first couple of verses are talking about her mouth awaiting the storm. And then the final verse is soft, no longer seething, hot, pressed, suppressed. And I can't remember. But um, it's all about exploding and the geezer, the water going everywhere. And then the cycle continues and it goes, you know, calm again and goes back again. Did you know that we have a pop star in Iceland called Björgvin Halldorsson, Bo Halldorsson? He's been doing this for years. He goes to Italy, he picks up the most popular tunes on the Italian charts, brings them home, writes Christmas lyrics 
to it. In Icelandic? <laughs> in Icelandic. Yeah. Most of the biggest Icelandic Christmas hits are originally summer beach tunes yeah. from Italy. Well, there's something interesting here, actually, because one thing I found when I was doing this whole project, not only with Icelandic lyrics, but also with the Swedish and Norwegian ones, is that I think our preconception of these languages is that they're very cut, a bit like German, you know. But they're really not. And there's lots of mina, mina tenker, jag känner mig för dig. And I mean, plural, at least in Swedish, is mina. My plural is mina. Mm. But of course, it's much easier to make a link between Italian, you mm. know, concettina. Non è difficile parlare italiano. Jag pratar på svenska. So, whereas in English, we don't have that. There are very few words that end in dina, greener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, what I had to do, and I did it in this one, is I had to use her, await her, meet her, kiss her. It was the only way that I could get, you know, Dina, see her. And I did that a lot on the album. It was the only way I could make the lyrics match, actually, the scan of it. So that doesn't surprise me at all that Italian would go into Icelandic. I like this idea that we have kind of sister languages across Europe. Yeah, interesting. And then when you move around the UK, you get like, you know... You can make a whole new show about the languages. (laughs) Great. Well, just before we wrap up, Uh, what are you working on right now? What's coming up for you? Well, I can't say that I'm working on an album, but I am. Because the situation is like that for us in Iceland today, that records have stopped selling, at least on a CD or vinyl format. You know, it, it sells in such tiny, tiny, small doses that it's almost funny. And now that people have simply stopped buying CDs, I decided to um, work on my next project in an entirely different way. Why not releasing just one song at a time? So on weekends, I am performing, you know, all over the country. And on weekdays, I'm in the studio working on the next tune Mm -hmm. or making a music video. And... So far, I've released two singles. The first one was in April, Aust and the next one was now Lichtibilios. I decided to give the singles away mm-hmm. on the internet, both on my homepage, pautloskar.is, pick up the songs on either MP3 or a WAV file, high quality, for free. In June 2016, I hope to have like five singles out, but then there'll be 10 unreleased songs left. And that's the time, and this is the experiment that I'm doing, that's the time when I'm going to ask the public, okay, here are five singles, I've got 10 songs left, do you want an album? If so, then are you willing to pay for it on a Kickstarter or some fundraising page and order the album beforehand? And then you can choose if you want it on a CD or vinyl or cassette tape or USB. You can choose the format yourself. And then I can see if I need to order 2,300 CDs, 500 copies of vinyl, 56 cassettes, you know. And don't go bankrupt on it because Mm. so many record companies are actually facing bankruptcy 
uh, with a, a storage room full of CDs yeah. that won't move. Well, it's a gambling game, isn't it? You think you invest in stock and then you have to try and sell the stock. But I think that's a great way to do it, to find out what the demand is and then provide specifically what the demand is. Well, this is an experiment that I'm doing now and I don't know how it's going to work out, but I do believe that this is the right way to do it. I'm sure it's going to go well. I think it's a really smart way of getting your next collection out there. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Well, thanks so much for participating in the podcast. I'm just going to wrap things up now. Mm-hmm. If you'd like more info about the podcast, you can go to magica.com forward slash podcast, where you're going to find show notes with all the links, all the music we've been listening to. And of course, the link to the track that you can download for free on Powder's website. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to get in touch, please do. You can follow me at Magica on Twitter, or you can email podcast at magica.com. Just before we wrap up, I have a tradition on the podcast of finishing with a little vocal impro. Oh. So if you're up for it, mm. I'll get a little kind of disco beat going and you can add whatever sound or whatever. I'm a big fan of the pigeons. Boo, boo, boo. But, but <laughs> feel, feel free, whatever comes to mind. Channel, channel some Donna. Mm. Okay, shoot. <laughs> Tack för det. Superledes. <laughs>